You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now here's your host, Brian Matiash, and me, Sharky James. So, Brian, here we are, episode 22. We have Duo Vision Toppled. Duo Vision Toppled, our episode output. I like it. It's like seeing double or something. It's like, yeah, Duo Vision Toppled. That could be my favorite one. Oh, good. I've, I don't really, like I said, some, a, a really fantastic listener provided me with every tuple through 100, and I haven't looked through. I always look. I don't want to surprise myself. I mean, I do want to surprise myself. Get it together, man. All right. I tell know. us what's on today's episode. Sure. So, uh, you know, we actually get a decent amount of emails from our listeners. So everyone listening, thank you so much for, for messaging us. You can always contact us. Just go to nonamephotoshow.com and click the contact button. Um, but uh, every now and then, in addition to just like, you know, positive comments and stuff like that, or they're just railing on Sharky, um, they, we have listeners who provide some interesting uh, feedback or, or topics that they think they'd like to see covered. So our first one is from a listener that will go with the name of Craig. And it's uh, in response to episode 20, which was with Colby Brown. And he's talking about uh, whether, you know, with all the hobbyist photographers out there who, as photo educators ourselves, we train them, are we inadvertently crowding the playing field even more by essentially training our competition, quote unquote? So uh, we'll talk about that. And then the second one uh, recently, I don't know if our listeners caught, probably did, especially our, our landscape photography fans, that uh, Zion National Park in the U.S. recently updated its uh, policies to ban tri- iPods from a commercial project. So we'll talk about that. Good deal. We definitely have a lot to say about this for sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so Sharky, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I, you know, Awesome. Just got back from Canada. Um, so Sharky, let me, I think it, to start off the first topic, what I'd like to do is just read a, a snippet of it. Um, and again, this is in uh, response to episode 20, uh, which you can listen to at nonamephotoshow.com forward slash episode 20. So Craig says, given some commentary from you and others that there are, quote unquote, so many photographers, is there a conflict in defining your audience? Do hobbyists crowd the playing field for those striving to make a career out of photography? You teach hobbyists who then might become pros seems like a very good thing, but is the pie, self-baked or not, you know, going back to what Sharky said about baking your own pie, limited? Y'all provide some interesting takes on competition, and yet there's a fuzzy gray line or maybe a sliding scale between a hobbyist and the full-time pro. Uh, so basically what he's wondering is, is this a non-issue and the fuzzy line keeps all of us photographers at the same audience or as the same audience? Uh, and so I, I think this is an interesting topic to talk about. But uh, Sharky, what do you think about this? Everyone is a photographer. And these days with everybody having a device on them where they can take photos and pretty decent ones too, it gets even more people into photography because you take photos with your iPhone or Android phone or whatever, people compliment you on Facebook, etc. right? And then you start thinking, this is how it starts. You know, I'm a pretty darn good photographer. Everybody tells me so. I'm going to use my regular camera or get a regular camera, a Rebel or whatever, which is perfectly fine these days. <laughs> They're better than what we had eight, nine years ago. Totally. So then they, you know, they hang out their shingle and they're like, well, I'm doing engagement photos and heaven forbid they start with weddings. I see a lot of people do that too. Don't start with weddings. Just don't do it. You want to work up to that. That's a lot of pressure right there. You got to know what you're doing for sure. So a lot of people, they start, you know, they shoot maybe baby photos. They shoot senior photos. That's always a good one to do. You, if you mess that up, you can always redo that. And so a lot of people get into photography that way. And you've got more and more photographers. It's just how it is. It's the genie is out of the bottle. The horses have left the stable. 
and everything else. What can you do? You only ha- you have to play the cards that you're dealt. So you have to be a better photographer. You have to market yourself better. I was just telling Levi Sam, he interviewed me for the Photo Focus podcast. That's out. I think it's the January 18th episode. And I told him what I tell everybody, join your local chamber of commerce. If you're taking photography seriously as a business, join your local chamber of commerce. Everyone's heard me say this already. A couple hundred bucks a year. You will probably be the only photographer that most of those business leaders and people who have money, they're gainfully employed. You'll be the only photographer they know, probably, especially if you show up at these events after hours. You know, they have events during the day, like a Wednesday at like noon or whatever, lunch kind of thing. You might not be able to make that, but there's after hours mixer events that they have. Get to know these people. And that's how you're going to be able to get more business. A lot of people aren't doing that, especially like millennials and people on the younger side. They would never think I'm going to join my local chamber of commerce. That seems like a really grown up thing to do. I don't want to do that. Be the person that does that. You'll get the business that will help separate you from the pack. And of course, keep working at your craft. There's always going to be more photographers out there and people are going to split up the pie by charging $50 for senior photos when you might charge four or five hundred. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I I take so I take this differently the way what Craig is asking, and in terms of like training my competition, I I don't see it that way. First of all, I don't. Hopefully, anyone that fashions themselves as a photo educator, as I do, I don't see the people that I'm creating content for, whether it's free content or premium content at my store, as me, you know, train giving away the farm or training my competition. There's a lot to being a successful photographer that goes well beyond your skill as a photographer insofar as being able to take a good photo. There's a whole brand side of it, which I, you know, that word is is so spread thin these days, but you and I can go and take the exact same photo of the exact same thing. But from that, from that point on the fork in the road is what will, where I get to kind of set myself apart. You know, even if we edited the photo the exact same way, how I choose to share the photo, the way I write or the way I record a video, that's um, something that I don't necessarily teach and not because I don't want to train my audience in that, but it's, I'm not a marketer. Like there are plenty of people out there like Pat Flynn, for example, from Smart Passive Income, who's a fantastic educator, you know, trainer and coach. He teaches people how to build their brands. I'm not in it here. And it's not because I don't want other people to build their brands, but my business model does not involve me teaching photographers how to build their brands. Uh, It's how to teach photographers to become better photographers. So in that respect, I don't necessarily see that there can never be enough photographers. I mean, like Sharky said, everyone's got a camera on their phones or they own their own DSLR or mirrorless cameras. You know, if you go out, you take your photos, that's great. But where the, in terms of the pie, where you start, ta- you know, seeing the real difference where the rubber meets the road is what you choose to do with that photo afterwards. The way what Craig says is like, well, you know, and he says it here, I guess if someone stumbled upon one of my images and wanted to pay for it, I'd sell it, thereby ruining my vaulted amateur status. So, you know, I don't I don't necessarily worry. I never do worry about what other people are doing in terms of based on the content that I share uh, as an educator. It doesn't really factor into my decisions. I'll look at what other photographers who are, you know, successful photographers who kind of their business model somewhat is the same as mine or mine is the same as theirs. I'll see what they're doing, but I don't ever really pay too close attention because that's like flying too close to the sun. You know, that could really impact you negatively. Levi and I talked about this as well. It's like all these photographers who are afraid to get to know the other photographers in their area and share info because they think that somehow they're going to be training their local competition to put them out of business. If you're that worried about it, business is not for you. Right. 
it, we know this because, well, those of us who've done this before and know a lot of photographers and have talked to them about this, if you get to know your local photographers, your essential competition, you'll actually get more business, not less business. Guaranteed. Because especially if you shoot weddings, if somebody is sick and they need a backup photographer, you want to be that person. If, you know, if they need a second shooter, that's more work for you right there. If somebody doesn't photograph dogs and cats and such, but you do, and someone comes to them and says, you know, I really want Scruffy to be photographed. Well, I don't really do that. I'm, I'm allergic to dogs, but I know a guy or I know a gal, right? Sure. No, it's a, it's, and it's a really good point. And for me, for instance, you know, I moved here to Lincoln, Nebraska in July, last July, no, knowing no one other than Nicole's family. Didn't know a single person. And so before we moved, I started researching on Facebook photographers in the Nebraska area. And I stumbled on this guy. Uh, his name's Eric Johnson, who is, uh, you know, mid late 20s, I think. Anyway, I really liked his work. And he does, he's explored a lot of Nebraska and Colorado and stuff. So I reached out to him, cold, cold message on Facebook Messenger and offered to, hey, I'd love to get coffee with you, just kind of chat with you about stuff. And so we got coffee. You know, we met at a really cool little coffee shop in Lincoln. We chatted about photography. He told me about cool places to go. And then I told him he's he's still, I would consider very fledgling. He takes beautiful photos, but in terms of his business acumen, he definitely wants, he has a full-time job. He wants to migrate over to full-time photography. And so I shared with him, every, I mean, I told him everything about newsletters and, and uh, marketing ideas and branding and stuff like what I do without even once thinking for a second, oh man, am I, am I, I don't, it just doesn't register that like, you know, this is my competition. I like Sharky or the way you approach it, I think is a very healthy way. It's like, this is not competition. Like if there is a paying gig that the employer or the, the, the person who's paying will choose one or the other, but still I'd rather be on good terms with that person. Cause you never know, man, especially in photography, despite having so many photographers in the world, it's such a small industry. You're going to drive yourself nuts if you're worried about the competition. And the way you deal with this is a, you don't worry about the competition and B, you're mindful of what everyone else is doing and you try to be better. And it comes down to another thing we talked about with Levi, service. A lot of people are just like, well, okay, I'll shoot it. Give me the money, whatever, done. You want to be able to go the extra mile for somebody. And if you're the person that you exceed their expectations, they're going to be like, wow. Like, you know, it's like if you take your car in to get something fixed at your dealership and it comes and they've run it through the car wash, you're like, wow. That was, you know, I, I appreciate that. It's easy for them to do. It just cost them electricity and water, yet they've impressed you because maybe the other dealer you went to didn't do that. So who are you going to choose next time? Who do you have a good feeling about? That's how you differentiate yourself. I don't worry. Like I tell all people all the time, if you want to start a photography podcast, I will tell you everything you need to know. Doesn't mean you're going to be a success. And ex that's exactly, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring that up when, you know, at the very beginning when we were starting this, you, I mean, fully just lifted your skirt up. You're like, this is everything you need to know. Colorful analogy. I opened the kimono wide. Oh yeah. I mean, left nothing to the imagination <laughs> and you're welcome. And I thank you. So, so, you know, just everyone who's listening, because I don't want to beat this one too far into the ground, but don't worry about amateur pro, you know, what you should worry about is 
figure out what you want out of your photography. And if that just means you just want to be able to take great photos to share on Facebook or Instagram, awesome. There is nothing wrong with that. Just, you know, if you do, hey, you know, want to consider even like uh, just some side revenue, maybe to pay for that camera or that lens or something. Great. There are certain things um, you can do to help that. But don't worry about, I don't worry about, you know, you making money. In fact, I want to do whatever I can to help you make money as a photographer or as a podcaster in Sharky's case. And everyone will be better. Rising tide lifts all ships. I firmly believe in that. And so Sharky, if there's nothing else that you want to add to that, I'd love to move on to this really kind of contentious topic. I would say one thing that I'd want to add to that is don't undercut the competition. If your quality is good, charge accordingly. Don't be like, well, I'm new, so I'm going to, you know, 50 bucks sounds good. No, charge. See what others are charging. Ask other photographers. See, this is the thing. Other photographers, I'm not going to tell you what I charge. Well, you know, I could email you anonymously as Joe Blow and and find out. Just tell me and tell them I don't want to undercut you. If you don't tell me, if you charge 500 and I go, okay, well, 100 100 is good, then that drives the market down. This is why you want to talk to other photographers, but also you don't want to fix prices because that is illegal. You don't want to get together and be like, all right, how much you charge? Okay, well, I'm going to charge that as well. That's price fixing and such. But you want to find out what the market will bear and charge accordingly. So that's what I would add to it. Try to you know, be a good photographer, a good citizen when it comes to pricing and such, and maybe the prices will go up. There's always going to be somebody that'll charge 50 bucks. You can't do anything about that. So don't worry about it. Yeah. And actually, just to close this out, I think that's a a good topic we can talk about on another episode is, you know, the whole concept of is there room to do something for free? But I don't want to go into that right now. But I do think that there is room to discuss that. So Sharky, back on, I see here in Petapixel on January 16th, so about a week ago, uh, they ran a story, Zion National Park bans tripods in photo workshops. Uh, Now, let's just kind of clear this up. They're not banning it if you are a regular tourist. You know, you drove your car with your family or you just went by yourself to take photos. You're allowed to use tripods. And there's a reason why. Because think about if you're just one person with a tripod, that's probably going to be okay. There's but but if you have a group out there and they limit it to 12 people now, and I'm sure that's where you were getting when I interrupted you. Yeah, we've seen some workshops. Well, why don't you tell people go ahead with the rest, but tell people like maybe how much your average workshop is because you've done workshops before been part of them, right? So how many people are usually in a workshop? A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. So um, just to recap what Sharky said, exactly. So if you're an individual or you're just going on your own tripods are cool. If you're running a commercial use authorization where um, or where you have to obtain a commercial use authorization, specifically in this case for running a photo workshop, I am taking money from n number of people to take them to a location, provide some guidance, some instruction and photograph. You can no longer use tripods and the group now is limited to 12 people. Now, Sharky asked, you know, in my experience with workshops, if it's a workshop I'm doing by myself, I won't have, I won't take more than five people because it's just, I cannot kind of like what Sharky said earlier about kind of just going the extra mile with service. I can't provide the kind of quality of service as a photo instructor, as a workshop leader. If it's just me to eight, 10, 12 people, I just can't. Some people can, I can't. I like to provide very, very hands-on if the the students want it, but just to provide hands-on, always ready. If I work with uh, another person, like I've done workshops with my buddy, James Brandon, we'll have anywhere from eight to 10 people, usually twice as many as I would take by myself. Still, 
Zion National Park, there's a lot of moving border. There's the Virgin River. There's, uh, you know, really tall canyons, which means there's uh, a lot of dynamic range. All of this is to say, Sharky, you need a tripod. I mean, you just, uh, for a lot of this landscape stuff, you really need a tripod. So I don't, I, I understand. Why don't you talk about Sharky? Why do you think the park decided to ban tripods for these workshops? I think it's because it was getting out of control. There's been over time, we've all seen it too. Everyone does workshops. People have asked me to do workshops. I don't want to do workshops. Maybe that'll change in the future, but a lot of people think, well, I'm a photographer now, and I'm pretty good at this. I'm going to start a workshop. And they think, well, you know, 12 people's good, but you know what's better? 20, right? That's right, extra. I'm doing right. the same amount of work, but I'm getting, you know, eight more people times a thousand bucks. That's $8,000 more. What's the disincentive? So some of these workshops have dozens of people. They might have, you know, the well-known photographer that you know and an assistant. And so that's two people. And you might have like 20 or so people in a group. Some people do that. We're not going to name names. So you've got 20 people out there. Just go online. You can find photos of this too. 20 people set up at the Grand Canyon or the Grand Tetons. Thank you. And so you uh, you got all these people out there and the general public doesn't enjoy it. And so word gets out, you know, that's a horrible place to go. Don't go to Zion because it's just nothing but photographers. They got all their ginormous tripods set up. They're one big group on my show. When I talked about this, I said, you know, it's like going to Disneyland and you've got like a church group maybe in front of you or whatever. And there's like 20 or 30 people you don't have as good of an experience because it's an us versus them kind of thing. You know, they feel if you're paying money for a workshop, you feel entitled. It's like, I paid good money to be right here. I'm taking up this, you know, three foot, four foot by four foot spot with my tripod down, etc. And it's just, it's impossible to enjoy the view as much as a regular person when you have this string of photographers. So they're limiting it to 12 And now you can't even bring tripods. It it was before. I think in 2016, they made it so certain trails at Zion, you couldn't set up a a tripod. And now it's all trails. And so this is going to be cause a problem because like you said, if you do landscape photography, chances are like you might want, you might want to do slower exposures. You got some ND filters. You want to have the clouds going. You're not going to do a a three, four, five, 10 second exposure handheld. And so that gets rid of and forget night photography Yeah. and the golden hour and blue hour and such. You know, 20 years from now, when you can shoot ISO 51,200 and it looks like 100 right now and you can get a crit. Well, still, you're going to need a slow exposure to do the uh, to make those clouds look all smooth and such. That gets rid of a lot of landscape photography. So this essentially kills landscape photography in workshops. Yeah, it completely it cripples, like you said, night photography. You simply it even says in the policy night photography, you can't do it. There's no you can't do without a tripod. And then if you are a workshop leader, hopefully it's not so much. Clearly, it's not necessarily about the money, because in order to do a workshop legally, you need to obtain a permit from the U.S. National Parks. And hopefully workshop leaders are doing that, even though I know many who don't. But then we didn't discuss it on this show, but I do believe you discussed it on your show, the Petapixel Photography Podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. But uh, you like you remember if. When was this? This was back in December where that uh, Positano, the town uh, town in Italy, they imposed a, I believe, a thousand euro photography tax. And, and that was because exa- to the same rationale where you had all these. And it was this is not even uh, this was actually no, this was, I think, also for commercial work where you had all these photographers who were setting up tripods and crowding up the this the place and typically listen photographers listening right now let's let's call a spade a spade when you set up a tripod you're you're there for minutes at, at least usually you know you're you're waiting for something it's not like you put your tripod take a photo walk away and so that causes a lot of obstructions and for other 
regular tourists or pedestrians who are just there. Maybe they want to take a quick iPhone shot or just want to look, God forbid, with their eyes and nothing else. It creates uh, a lot of obstacle in, in a when I did a workshop with James, we were one of the workshops in Death Valley National Park. This is another thing where we were at Artist Palette, which is this beautiful kind of overlook with, uh, you know, rocks in the distance that are just a vibrant array of colors. You killed it there, by the way. How so? In Death Valley. Oh, totally killed it. Thank you, Sharky. Thank you. So <laughs> the audience, I'm sorry. So uh, point is, so there's a trail that leads through where you can meander in between all the, the, the rocks and stuff. And I remember I had one of my workshop students, and this was not the first, this was not an isolated instance, but there were other just pedestrians who were walking out that every right, every single right to walk. And she was standing at the top with her tripod. She started screaming at them like, excuse me, can you please uh, move? And I had to pull her to the side. And, you know, in this case, normally I, um, I'm very much, you know, a pundit for photographers or photography rights. But in this situation, I actually had to pull her again. It wasn't the first time she did this, but I, I told her, if you keep doing this, we're going to have a serious problem. We don't own this. I have a permit to allow us to have a workshop here, but we don't have any exclusive rights to this. Anyone can walk in front and do whatever they want. Of course, if they're part of the workshop, you know, we can work on that. But I said, look at how I, I, I asked her to pull up the photo on the back of her camera. I said, look at that person. That person is a little tiny spot. You can clone that person out so easily. But instead, what you're doing is you're freaking out and you're screaming. You're making the whole workshop. You're making me look bad. You're making yourself look bad. Um, so it is unfortunate, Sharky. You're like, listen, Becky. No, we don't no. do that. We don't yell at the tiny people in the distance. We just ignore them. They're one click in Lightroom. Once you get Lightroom going, once it cranks up, done. Yeah. I and mean, we move on, uh, Becky. A lot of times photographers, I think, when they're in the heat of the moment out in the field, they don't they lose all sense of rationale. They're like primal instincts kick in. And last week when Colby and I, we were in the Canadian Rockies and we were shooting on the frozen Abraham Lake, we were both shooting ultra wide and many times Colby or I would be like, Hey, can I get in here? You know? And he'd walk a few feet in front of me and be like, go for it. Because that I, I am able to clone him out in two seconds. I just wish photographers would, would kind of put a little bit more sense into that. But again, Sharky, just to kind of put it all together, if Zion is definitely becoming now for photographers, that's kind of, you can cross that off as far as U.S. National Parks goes. You can fashion it as a just a handheld photography workshop and maybe do something like, I don't know, details. Or, I, I don't know what. But it is unfortunate, and I really, really hope this doesn't become a trend for other national parks. Maybe you'll think outside the box. Like somebody said in uh, in the comments over at the Petapixel Peta Peta Mothership, you know, get a giant backpack. Get yourself a Shimoto when those are out or whatever. And uh, one of those like lens coat beanbag things with a little tripod mount on it, you know, a little quarter 20 mounted on there. Get a platypod, right? Sure. Get a platypod. And you that might be a way to do it. And somebody suggested they're like, well, there's quad pods out there like Nova Flex makes a quad pod. So it's four legs. So it's technically not a tripod. But if you set that down, the park ranger will be very angry with you because to them and everyone else, it's for all intents and purposes, it's a tripod. So they'll just change the language to say you can't use any device with telescoping legs and blah, blah, blah. For all intents and purposes, these workshops are done unless they retool to use, you know, so maybe maybe these workshops need to partner with Platypod or whatever, right? And then so you got maybe 12 Platypods that are handed out to the workshop participants and they but then you're only shooting at a certain level. But then maybe you get right. like a beanbag thing or 
or well, use your backpack. There's ways around it, but then they're going to, you know, they just, the the whole crux behind this, there's the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law behind this, or the spirit of the regulation, is that the Park Service doesn't want a ginormous amount of people taking up a huge amount of room, so it ruins it for everybody else. That's the point. Yeah, and I like what you are saying about um, the kind of spirit of the law and, and suggesting platypods, which for those that don't know, platypod is like this metal plate with a uh, a little you know tripod screw. And then you can screw in, depending on the size, you get three or four little legs. And we're talking about like an inch and a half, two inch high. So like Sharky said, you're, you're kind of restricted, but it is a perfect solution for stabilizing your camera on. And, you know, you can screw on a, a ball head or you can screw it directly to the camera. The thing is, though, Sharky, is like you said, I don't know how strict or literal the rule is. You know, I'm looking through the uh, we'll link to the uh, to the Petapixel article in the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com. And in the article, they embedded the scribd, uh, the, like the, the, the policy via script so you can actually read it. But, you know, I. <sighs> I, it is interesting. It does open up the opportunity, I, I would suppose, for companies like Platypod to partner with Photography Workshop so long as it doesn't actually fly in the face of this policy. Because, listen, the tripod or not, you still have a gaggle of photographers standing behind the little platypods. So, you know, I don't know. Do you have one? I've got one on the way to me. I have a Platypod Pro, the old, it's not the large one that I want to get the large one, but I do have this. Uh, it's in the closet. Maybe that could be a gear pick one day, but I've used it many times, actually. All right, Sharky. Yes. I have a question. I think I know what it might be, but go ahead and ask it. What is on your gear shelf? What's on my gear shelf? It's, it's funny. If you talk to my my family, I'm obsessed with safety and not like I'm like, oh, the sky is falling. I need to be careful. But, you know, a little bit of planning goes a long way, right? If you have... I see, I, okay, I see all these photographers out there who, you know, you're in traffic and on the back of their vehicle, it says like XYZ photography, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you're a thief and you see that car at Walmart... That's probably the car you want to break into because what are the chances that photographer brought their gear into the Walmart with them? Slim to none. So for the thieves out there, that's the car you want to hit. <laughs> Thank you, Sharky. So, <laughs> no, but seriously, so my gear pick is it's made by a company called PackSafe. And Brian can see this on the cam. It's a, and I'm not going to take it out of here, but it's a wire mesh. It's called an exo mesh. And I bought this years ago. So you've got your camera bag in your car. If someone smashes the window, you're already out a couple hundred bucks. You don't want them to get thousands of dollars worth of your gear. So how do you protect that? You put this exo mesh and it, they originally made these for backpackers and stuff, mostly in Europe, because this is a European company, I believe, to go around your backpack so you can then secure it to something. Like maybe you're not allowed to bring your backpack into a store or whatever, or you just need to secure it in your hotel or whatever. Don't put it around the the table leg, by the way, because the maid knows to lift the table and slip it out. So you'd be surprised how many people do that. This is safe. Nope. Gone. So this exo mesh goes around your camera bag. And then from there, you lock it to something. So in my car, I would, you know, in your trunk or whatever, you've got holes in the back, like in the, you know, when you lift the lid and stuff. And so you run it through one end, put it through another. And if you don't want to do that every time, you just get another piece of wire or whatever and fashion it and lock that. And then you can lock it to that. So if somebody breaks into your car because they know you have camera gear in there and then they see this and they can't undo it and they don't have wire cutters with them, strong wire cutters, your stuff is safe. So then you're out whatever it was, you know, they broke into your car, the car window. The one that I have is the older version. I mean, I literally bought this years ago. 
I emailed them a long time ago, and I'm sure they didn't just take my advice. I'm sure a lot of people told them the mesh was too big. You could, if somebody wanted to, they could put their hand through the mesh. You know, think like a chain link fence, right? They could put their hand through there, unzip your camera bag, and then slide out a lens. So now they have ones that are specifically for cameras, for photographers. And so now you can't get a lens through there. That's pretty cool. It's really awesome. So it's like, I don't know, I think it's like 50 bucks, 80 bucks. I don't know what it is, but it's worth it. If you're leaving your camera gear unattended anywhere, that's what you want to do. And then also another tip too, just for photographer safety, you know, people walk by, don't be a target of opportunity. Get a dark colored blanket and just, and throw it over your stuff. Or what I've done in the past too, is I've I had like a whole bunch of like old socks and laundry and stuff and shirts and just throw it on there. No one wants to steal someone's <laughs> laundry. That was before I got the exo mesh. And then so it's hiding in plain sight. Right. You don't want to draw attention. Yeah. But if somebody gets in your car, you don't want them to steal your gear. So what do you do? Get an exo mesh like this and lock it. And unless you're in the middle of nowhere and they can come back with wire cutters, you're good. No, I, I think that's great. Mostly, like you said, a lot of these are kind of like crimes of opportunity where they just kind of like, if they can't just take it, they, they're not going to try. So I like that. I'm actually going to check that out for myself uh, because, I, you know, I do road trips and stuff and it'd be nice to secure if we run into like a restaurant or we whatever. So they come in different sizes, too, and they're based on liters. So if you have a 40 liter bag like the Shimoda bag you've got, I've got you get the 40 L or you can get a larger one. All right. What's your what is on your gear shelf, Brian? Oh, thank you for asking, Sharky. So like I said, I just got back from Canada last week. And uh, for those listening to episode 21, I can't remember if I said that I wanted to use that pick then, but Nicole wanted me to like use the product first. Yeah. So my pick, it's called the Heat 3 Smart Layer System Gloves. So photographers, outdoor photographers who shoot in cold environments, if there's one thing that we can all agree upon, just the most uncomfortable thing is when your extremities, your digits get cold. And, uh, you know, of course, you've got your feet, but for your hands, you know, there's this weird balance of wanting to keep your hands warm, but also providing enough tactility where um, you can actually move a dial on a camera or press a shutter button. So these gloves, they're heat three, um, and I bought them from outdoorphotogear.com. And we'll link to that in uh, the show notes. But they're awesome. I mean, they're pricey. They're 200 bucks. So, you know, you, you just, just put that out there. But they're mittens. They're really, really thick, nice mittens with leather palms. And they have a, a zipper pouch on the top where you can put those little hand heating pads so you can keep your hands warm. But then the mitten has another zipper on the palm side where you can flip the entire top mitten back. And there's a magnet to connect it to the rest of the glove. And that will expose if you're, it comes with these really nice liners, liner gloves, it'll expose your fingers. And same thing with the thumb, the thumb will flip back. Now, it has all sorts of really cool kind of, I guess you would call them safety features. Like I said, these are 200 bucks. You don't want to lose them. So you can put your hands through. They have these uh, attached little wrist kind of cuffs. So you can take the gloves off and they'll kind of dangle like you're a little kid. But I also got, and I'll link to these as well. It comes with a set of liners, but they're uh, these called, they're called tactility liners. But I ended up getting the Merino wool liners for these gloves. Same company makes them. They're a lot warmer. So what I will say is I use them heavily for the past week in the Canadian Rockies in sub-freezing temperatures. Never once, not once, was I ever cold. Um, the liner gloves have the smartphone capacity so you can actually touch your screen and it'll work. Capacitive touch, it's called. 
Cool. So yeah, their capacitive touch support. And uh, the best thing is, is that you just don't have to worry about, you know, your fingers getting cold. So when I, when we're walking from the car, say to the scene, carrying my tripod over my shoulder, and then I've got the whole mitten on and it's nice and warm. And then when we get to the place, I just flip it back and it's good to go. And it, you know, it even comes with like a little like wax for the leather so you can keep the leather treated. It's just a really very well thought out glove. And what was funny was the first day that we were using them, I told Colby that like I told him about the gloves. I'm like, man, I kind of can't believe I spent 200 bucks, but they look really cool. We were out at uh, in Banff at, at Vermilion Lakes. Wait, hold on a second. Banff. Thank you. Go ahead. Thank you, Sharky. You have to, if you're going to say Banff, you got to go Banff. Sure. And so we're, I'm shooting and this gaggle of Asian tourists, there was a workshop there, a photo workshop, and it was all Asian photographers. I swear to God, they came around me, they huddled around me, and they were just taking photos of my gloves. They were at, they were taking photos of the logo, and they were all about these gloves, and I couldn't believe it. You should have sent them to our Amazon link. They could have bought it right there. You know, I tried finding it on Amazon, but either they didn't have them in stock or whatever. So I ordered them from Outdoor Photo Gear. And I, that's what I'm going to link to because they have them readily in stock. And they, I actually dealt with them because I initially ordered a size too large. And they were awesome about getting me a new pair before I left. So I want to give them credit. Yeah, you've got small, dainty lady hands. So, Well, for reference, I got the medium size nine, which is rated for 7.9 inches to 8.8 inches. I had I originally ordered this large size 10 and they were too big. A little bit too much info there, but uh, hey, listen, I'm six, four. I've got ginormous hands. But, you know, when I was a photojournalist, hey, that was organic that time. I didn't I didn't try to shoehorn that in there for that guy, that guy, whoever that guy was. We love you, guy. But I would have to shoot in the mountains of eastern Arizona a lot, right? So it is freezing there. I mean, sometimes we're talking like zero degrees and I had to shoot. And so I had, you know, and you need to be able to operate the dials and stuff. Things are changing quickly. So I just got some thinner kind of gloves that were warm and I'd have a couple pairs of them. And so I'd have those with those little heat pads. You put the heat pads in there. I'd keep other ones in my like breast pocket with that stuff too, to keep those. And I'd switch them out. You know, when those got too cold, time for the other gloves. You just have to do what you have to do. $200, you know, buy once, cry once. If you're doing a lot of outdoor shooting, you know, you just eat it. Go ahead, spend the 200 bucks on that. And you've got, as long as you take care of those, you're going to have those for years. And they probably have a good warranty and all that, right? I mean, you're spending 200 bucks on gloves. They have to have a decent warranty. So yeah, good pick. Good pick. I think it was a good show. Don't you think so? If I say so myself? Yeah, sure. Good deal. Do you want to tell people where to find us, you specifically, and our show notes and such? Sure. Show notes, again, nonamephotoshow.com slash episode. This will be 22. Me, I am, my website is matias.com, M-A-T-I-A-S-H. And on social media, every single channel, I'm at Brian Matias, B-R-I-A-N-M-A-T-I-A-S-H. Sharky, how about you? You can find me on social everywhere, Lens Shark, L-E-N-S-S-H-A-R-K. I just launched a portfolio website, one of our sponsors over on my show format. Uh, if you go to sharkyjames.com, of course, I have that domain because I'm Sharky James. You'll find my portfolio in progress. I put a bunch of photos up there. It's so easy to use. So if you want to see more of my work, that's where you can find that. Also, I'm a crazy man. I'm going out of pocket and buying a camera for somebody. We're giving away a camera on the Petapixel Photography Podcast starting episode 250, which comes up on January 28th. So get ready for that. Follow me on social media. Make sure you don't miss that. 
but somebody is going to get a camera. I'm thinking about doing somebody's pick between a, a D850, which I have on the way and arrives tomorrow for me, a Sony a7R Mark III, and like a Canon 5D Mark IV. Sounds good. That'd be a great prize for somebody. So Absolutely. make sure you enter that and somebody's going to get an awesome camera. What else? That's about it. I think we're done. We don't have anything else coming up. Episode 23 will be next week. Yep. That's something to look forward to. All right. What do you say we clap it out? Let's do it. Here we go. Ready? One, two. We'll fix it in post. There we go. Love you, brother. Love you, too. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the No Name Photo Show. Sharky and I would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend. How about we do this again next episode? Yeah, let's do that.